Again, good to see you tonight. Let's pray, and we're going to get into this uh, topic, some heavy issues tonight, but important ones in the time in which we, in which we live. Uh, there, I have more here that I want to say than we're going to have time for, and so I'm going to try to leave some things unsaid. Um, and there's more I could say even than I have, but um, these, are, these are very important issues. Let's uh, go before the Lord. Uh, Lord God, we thank you that you are the source of right and wrong, all morality, and what you say is right and good is right and good, even if everyone around us and every neighbor that we have, and even if uh, every country in the United Nations votes differently, what you say is right is right, and what you say is wrong is wrong. You are the source of all these things, and you are the one that defines it because you are good, and all good comes from you. You are the, the standard. Things are right or wrong depending on how they measure up to you, Lord God, and we confess that. Lord, help us to um, live the right way in a world that is adversarial uh, to truth and to, to you and to what is good, Lord God. Lord, we live in a world that Satan has blinded the eyes and hearts of so many people. Help us to... Um, to have compassion, help us to be used to change hearts and minds through the way that we live, through the things that we're, through persuasion, um, especially through presenting the word of God and the gospel message, that people can be liberated from, uh, from their sin and the deception, and uh, so we ask that you would be with us, help us to be strong no matter uh, what kind of persecution we may face, Lord. Lord, we thank you that each individual is created in the image of God and therefore has inherent dignity and value and worth, and um, that does not change. We confess that, Lord God. Help us to value people the way that you do, Lord God, and to show that in the way that we live. In the name of Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sins, we pray. Amen. We have been talking about the Ten Commandments going through, and I knew that when we got to the sixth commandment, we would need at least two weeks, and we need to move on next week. I wish we had extra weeks, uh, but these won't, this won't be the only time we ever talk about these, uh, these issues. Last time we started talking about the sixth commandment, thou shall not murder, and last time we uh, had a few basic points. We said that this commandment prohibits murder, and we defined that as the unauthorized killing of human life. And we said it that way because we noticed that there, there are uh, some um, times when, uh, well, it, it, we said that very specifically. We said the reason for that is not because of the potential that people have or what they contribute, but it's because human lives are valuable because each person is made in the image of God. That is going to be very important as we talk about these topics uh, that no matter what stage of development, no matter how much potential someone may seem to have left um, or may or may not ever have, that is not what grounds their worth. It's not their ability or their potential. It's are they made in the image of God? And we believe that every single human being is made in the image of God. And according to Genesis 9, 5 through 6, that is why uh, murder is such a serious thing because you're harming someone that is created in God's image. And we saw last time that it's so uh, serious that the, the death penalty is given for those that commit murder. Last time we did say, um, taking a look at the whole uh, range of scripture, that this commandment does not, it actually does not prohibit all killing. It does not prohibit all capital punishment or killing in war or acts of self-defense. It would prohibit some of that, but not all of that. And we looked at that last week. And we also saw that Jesus uh, helped us to realize that this command goes beneath the surface. And if we think that we are off scot-free because we've never killed someone, to remember that Jesus said that basically to hate someone is to murder them in your heart. And so probably there's none of us uh, that uh, can really say that we are innocent of this. That even if this was the only commandment, um, well, I'll tell you that I, I would still need a Savior even if this was the only commandment. And I think as you look into your heart, too, I think you would probably, you would probably agree. Um, each of these commandments makes us realize we need Jesus Christ as our Savior. 
Uh, but today we are specifically talking about the topics that we kind of say for this week on uh, abortion and euthanasia. We live in a culture of death. It really is. And it's amazing how much it keeps progressing that way. More and more states uh, just very openly advocating. Uh, sometimes the things you see on the news, it is, um, uh, I want to say scary, it is uh, just it is unnerving, just even the glee that sometimes folks have uh, when laws go their way and how they're happy to uh, have laws that basically are enhancing the culture of death and leading to the, uh, the, the end and the destruction of innocent human life. And viewing this as what is, what, is, what is good, these are important issues that we must face. And I think we need to keep our, make sure, making sure that we are grounded in them and that we are passing these things on to uh, next generation. There, is, there are some reasons to have hope. Um, you know, as much as some of the younger generations uh, are sliding the wrong way on so many issues, uh, there is actually, um, according to some surveys, you know, younger folks that are becoming more pro-life than some of the other generations. I think some of it, they've grown up, uh, you know, looking at ultrasound pictures and, and different things that make it more obvious than maybe it was a few decades ago that this is a baby is, is not a, just a, a clump of cells or, or something, but this, this is a baby in the womb. And so we want to keep praying for that. But obviously there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of conflict out there. I do also want to say before we get going um, that whether it is someone here or if someone ends up listening to this on the audio message, you know, there are many people, when we think about how many abortions that there have been, uh, I believe around 60 million since Roe v. Wade, that um, them, that's a lot of lives touched by that, the lives that um, have been lost to abortion, and also those that, looking back, that may have been some people that have had abortion. And I want to say, if uh, whether it's here or somebody listening to this, if this is something um, that is in your past, or if you have pressured somebody for this, uh, maybe the most important thing you need to realize is that the, the forgiveness is available in the blood of Christ. And that there is no sin so severe that it is more powerful than the blood of Christ to, to cover and to cleanse. And we want nothing more than for you to find uh, that forgiveness and, and that healing through Jesus Christ. So talking about this issue, we're going to talk about abortion first. So the main point we're going to say is um, that this command means that we need to value human life at the beginning. And that means the sixth commandment prohibits abortion. Thou shalt not murder that would include what we believe to be the killing or the murder of, of the unborn. And every week there's so many things in the news that we could talk about and it, it keeps changing with this. But one thing that uh, was in the news even this past week um, that I thought is worth us realizing, and I know there's, I guess I'm thinking especially some of the young people in here, just helping you to be aware of uh, just the world we live in and how culture and media uh, tries to shape our view on these things, is before we even get into the issue, to, to be aware and notice the terms intentionally used by abortion advocates to manipulate people's opinions. How the way that something is said and the terms and phrases that are used uh, can be used to get you to think or sometimes it's not even about thinking, it's having emotions in one way rather than another. And uh, this is something that I think um, some people here, you're well aware of this and others, uh, it, it's good for you to realize. I don't know how many of you have read 1984 back in school but, you know, that was one of the themes of the book of how you could, uh, they could control people by choosing the terms that we're going to be able to use and they could really steer their thinking. And so much of this happens in this issue with abortion. And it's very intentional. It is not accidental. Uh, so if you're watching the media or whatever, you're going to see they are, they are not going to say pro-abortion. 
they're going to say pro-choice. Okay, that sounds very nice. We're just leaving it up to you. You make, you make the choice. It's, it's about freedom. Um, they're not going to say pro-life. They're going to say anti-abortion you know, or anti-choice or something like that. Some of the phrases I've heard even recently, they're going even further and saying, you know, if you're pro-life, you're, you're in favor of forced pregnancies. As if, um, or, or forced births. Uh, as if we're um, making people, you know, have, have births uh, apart from, you know, them, their conceiving of the child. Just putting the most negative spin on it. I think it's uh, actually forced births. Uh, referring to abortion as, they won't say they're for abortion, they'll say they're for women's health care. That makes it sound very nice. And in case you're wondering if it is intentional, um, National Public Radio, this past week, they released a statement of guidelines, uh, what well, was actually earlier this, this month in May, uh, guidelines, reminders on, on the public radio, okay, so funded by our tax dollars, and it really shows that there is a, a definite viewpoint they are wanting to communicate here. And so I looked at this article from NPR, and some of the things that it, it said, it talked about, for example, not using the phrase partial birth abortion, because that sounds pretty gruesome. And it gets people thinking about what it is. A partial, partial birth abortion, the baby is partly born, and so coming out of the mother and then killed. And just how grotesque that is. They said instead, you, instead of saying partial birth abortion, use, quote, a procedure known medically as intact dilation and extraction. Just to make it sound medical and to have you not really think about what's going on here. That um, the mother's womb is being opened up so the baby can be partially delivered and then they snip the... Uh, the spinal cord and, and kill the baby. And it's just a horrifying thing. They also say not to use late-term abortion anymore because, well, I thought this was insightful. It, it said, uh, because actually most of these partial birth abortions, well, they didn't call it that, are performed in the fifth or sixth month. And yet it, it, they say, well, these are pretty rare, but they said don't use the phrase abortion clinics, but instead mental, or medical or health clinics that perform abortions. Actual quotations from this article, they said, cautioning people uh, as far as the, what they should use when they are communicating from NPR, um, not to use the term unborn. It says the term unborn implies that there is a baby inside a pregnant woman. Go figure, we wouldn't want anyone to have that idea. And not a fetus. Remember, because they say if it's a fetus, then you can think of it's not a baby, it's just a, it's just a fetus, it's something else. Um, it says, babies are not babies until they are born. Reading a quotation. They are fetuses. Incorrectly calling a fetus a baby or the unborn is part of the strategy used by anti-abortion groups to shift language legally uh, and public opinion. Use unborn only when referring to the title of a bill or qualify the use of unborn by saying, quote, what anti-abortion groups call the unborn victims of violence. Another place it says, one thing to keep in mind about this and other laws like it, uh, okay, this is talking about some of the fetal heartbeat bills that are out there uh, that some states have passed, uh, limit, saying that once a heartbeat is detected, you cannot have an abortion. This is what it says, uh, proponents refer to it as a fetal heartbeat law. That is their term. It needs to be attributed to them if used and put in quotation marks if printed. We should not simply say that laws are about when a, quote, fetal heartbeat is detected. As we've reported, heartbeat activity can be detected about six weeks into a pregnancy. And that's at least a few weeks before an embryo is a fetus. I was reading that, I realized, wow, you, you have just let us know that even before you're willing to call it a fetus, it already has a heartbeat. Another place it says, do not refer to murderer George Tiller as an abortion doctor. They don't want to stain that. So instead, we should say, Tiller operated a clinic where abortions are performed. 
So you see how they're trying to use language to just soften their side and to, to make it seem as good. Um, they said it's acceptable to use the phrase anti-abortion, uh, but don't use the phrase pro-life. Strictly says that. So just realize that the way that people will, will use language is meant to kind of shift our opinion to make uh, pro-life people sound bad and to make others just, just sound good. And we have to be aware of that, you know, as um, we just navigate this world. But biblically, we see that the Bible considers the unborn child from conception to be a unique person that should be protected. And that's where we believe it, it ultimately comes down to. And I'm going to show you uh, some verses that I think are very uh, helpful with this. That is the position of our church. A few years ago, we updated our doctrinal statement to include the words that say, uh, we believe that all human life is sacred and that from the moment of conception, the unborn child is a living human being created in the image of God and must be valued and protected both before and after birth. And those of you there that uh, were part of this, um, this was added in my time. I drafted the language and the church uh, unanimously um, added that to our doctrinal statement just to make it very clear uh, what we do believe on this. Let me give you some uh, passages. Uh, now abortion wasn't, uh, there, there are not like specific passages that use the word abortion. I mean, it just wasn't something that was, was done, but we're going to see some that definitely affirm what is being said, that the Bible, it views it that this is a baby and it, it's valuable and needs to be protected. So a few examples um, from the birth, or the conception of, of Jesus Christ, Luke 1, 41 through 44. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, it, it, it says baby here. They're not abiding by the National Public Radio style guides here. And it's the, it's the same Greek word that the New Testament uses after Jesus is born. And you have baby Jesus in a manger. Same word, baby. And the baby's leaping. Something's going on here. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, uh, again, that would go against NPR because you're not really a mother until it's born. But here, mother of the Lord, she's carrying the child. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Um, you know, also indicating that there, there's personhood, you know, in this baby. That it, the baby is responding to, to something with, a, you know, John the Baptist being there. That's the indication. Psalm 51, 5, and I cut and paste this. So here it says Psalms, and normally I would get at people and say, it's not Psalms 51, 5, it's Psalm 51, 5. So, but that's what happens when you cut and paste. <clears throat> this is David saying, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mom, mother conceive me. Now, he's, it's not the, uh, the, the act of, uh, sexuality by which, he, by which he was conceived that is sinful. He's saying that he was sinful from conception, but this also means that, that he is an individual. He didn't say I, that my mother um, brought forth a, a clump of cells which later became me. He's saying this, this was me all the time. And in other words, if we think about today, we think about, you know, fetuses and embryos and all this. And those, those just refer to different stages of development of the unborn child. And so it's not, um, in other words, you did not come from an embryo. You once were an embryo, but that was you. You know, and you went through all these different stages. Uh, but from conception, that, that, was, that was you. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts, talking to the Lord. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Just how, how it's the Lord that is assembling, you know, each of us carefully in our mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden to you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, 
when as yet there was none of them. And yes, we know that how the biology works and we know how DNA works these days, but uh, this doesn't take away from the fact that it's also God doing this, that God is the one knitting together and, and creating life. And he's the one that set up DNA and how these things function, and he's still actively involved in this process. So you and I, no matter if there's things about yourself that you like and things that you don't, God designed you. God knitted you together. You are fearfully and very, very wonderfully made. A few more verses here. I got three more. Genesis 25, 21 through 22. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. So his wife conceived and then refers to them as children. And she says, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now this next one, this is a key one. uh, Because this gets as close as you can to something about actual abortion. And this is from the book of Exodus. It says, it gives kind of this case law that if this happens, here's guidelines on how to handle this. So it says, when men, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman. Now, you know, I don't know how often this is happening. We're saying if this did, this is how you handle this. So, well, let me read the whole thing. So that her children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined. As the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay the judge, as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So the logic behind this, this is saying that if some, it's saying, let's say two people are fighting and somehow a a woman gets hit who is pregnant and she um, gives birth early. Okay, somehow the, 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 the being hit causes this to happen. And when it says, if there is no harm, I think we have to interpret that to mean that, okay, she gave birth early, but the baby's okay. Then there's still a fine. The judges and the the father would determine this. But it says, if there is harm, and notice what it says here, then the punishment is going to be fitting what the harm is. So if the baby dies because of this, the punishment is life for life. And that only makes sense if this uh, unborn child is considered to be an image bearer of God and that killing, causing the death of this unborn child is as serious as causing the death of a, a born person. I think that is what has to be the logic here and that's what's being communicated to us through this. And I'll give you one more here. This is back from Luke, but just thinking through this, Um, because sometimes we wonder, well, how do we know exactly, you know, when uh, the, is it really from conception or could it be later on? And sometimes people have debated that. But I think it's helpful to think about just the, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And again, Luke 1, 34, 35, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And I, I think just the, the natural kind of logic here is that the Son of God was in Mary's womb from conception. That there was, uh, because Mary was a virgin, okay? So there was never a point where there was uh, male sperm, you know, causing life to begin. This was from the, the Holy Spirit supernaturally causing life to begin inside of Mary. And so from the moment of conception, and not sometime later, uh, this, uh, what was conceived in her womb uh, was the Son of God. I think it's very strong evidence that it's from conception. Uh, I think that's when we, one way or another, we have our soul and that um, from that point on, even if it's, you're just a, a fertilized cell, you know, that you are a human being made in the image of God. And that uh, will be progressing, uh, growing into uh, 
well, the people that we, we are today. So these are biblical things to consider. I think we also have really science on our side. You know, as much as sometimes people want to say, you Christian people are all anti-science. The science here is, is pretty clearly in our favor. Science shows that the unborn child has his or her own unique DNA and is a distinct person from the mother. So as much as people say, well, it's, it's the mother and her choice, it's, it is not just the mother. There is a distinct uh, human being, a distinct person inside that mother that we believe has rights, um, you know, both uh, biblically and as Americans believing in the Constitution, that this unborn child has the right to life because it is its own person. Uh, you can't, it's not the same as a fingernail or hair or something like that. Uh, a, a unborn baby is not the same as a, as a tumor where it's just a choice to do I remove it or do I not remove it. You know, we each in ourselves, we have our own distinct DNA signature. You know, this, these building blocks of life, all this information that is encoded into each cell that we have that um, I believe is there by our, our designer that tells our body how to, how to make us. And that's why you can have DNA testing and they can take a little swab of this and determine is it, you know, from you or from you or from you because it is distinct from each person. And each baby has a distinct DNA. They get some of it from mom and some of it from dad and God puts it together in its own way and it is not the same as mom. It, so it is a distinct human being from, from the point of conception because that's when it comes together and when, that's when that happens. Um, keep an eye on the clock here. I think it's good to reiterate the fact that abortion is not merely wrong because we don't like it. It is wrong because it is the intentional killing of an innocent human being. And I say it that way. There's, there's some things that we can use to people that understand the word of God and, uh, and agree with that to believe that abortion is wrong. But I think we also need to be able to be equipped to speak into the public square with people that don't yet recognize the authority of Scripture. Scripture is authoritative over everyone. It is. Some people don't get that yet. So, but there's ways that we can explain things uh, so that other people, at least, uh, we can try to persuade them to protect human lives. And one of those, we're, we're not saying it's wrong just because we don't like it. Every, if so many people, really, their ethic has to just be based on do they like it or do they not because they don't have a God to ground ethics in. But we believe it's wrong because it's the intentional killing of an innocent human being. That's what's, that's what's going on here. And if you get people to think about it in that way, Hopefully it helps clarify for them that it's wrong. And people will have a lot of maybe comebacks and say, well, why do you think it is okay to, you know, what is it in the womb? Is it just cells or whatever? Or is it a baby? And if so, why is it okay to kill it? It's okay to kill, ask, it's okay to kill a human being when? Fill in the blank. And people will come up with, you know, things and say, well, if the mother can't support it or if it's not wanted, or some of these excuses or arguments that, that really don't make sense. Um, and some of those, you know, if you substitute toddler for some of these same arguments and ask yourself, would the same uh, argument work for somebody that wants to kill a toddler? That every toddler should be wanted. You know, and therefore, if it's, if it's not wanted, then it's okay to kill the toddler. No toddler should grow up in poverty. You know, no toddlers should have these, uh, you know, difficulties in life. And hopefully we still live in a society where most people, and I have to say most, but most people would be abhorred by that, the thought of killing a toddler. But what really makes it, what makes it different? You know, and even some of the things that, um, you know, are kind of the more touchy issues these days. Um, let's even say, what if you said, you know, no toddler that was conceived in rape, you know, well, several years ago we went through the, um, it was the uh, Life is Best series, and, and there, we did that for a month in Sunday school, and they gave this acronym SLED, which was helpful to think through, and to think through, you know, 
to recognize that none of these things that people often give are really where people uh, get their value from. And so if you think about this, it undercuts so many of the, the pro-abortion arguments. One, is it size? Is it okay to kill an unborn uh, human being because they're small? I mean, maybe they're really, really small. Well, if size is what determines our worth, well, that would mean that the bigger you are, the more valuable you are, right? So the tall people here, you are worth more than the shorter people here. And the kids here, you're worth even you know, less because, well, if size is what gives you your value. But we recognize that's, that's crazy, that's ludicrous. It's not size. And so why should we apply that to the unborn child? It's not the size that matters. In the acronym SLED, the next one is level of development. We'll say, well, it's not the size, but it's how developed it is. Well, again, even outside of the womb, if you're just saying it's level of development, you know, an adult is more developed than a teenager. And a teenager is more developed than a, uh, a child, and a child is more developed than a toddler, and a toddler is more developed than a newborn. So are you uh, less valuable, you know, when somebody has their, their precious newborn baby, and say, well, it's just barely valuable, but it's going to be more valuable when it's a toddler. We recognize that's wrong. So why would it be so worthless that it's okay to, to kill the child in the womb because it's not developed as much? The E is, uh, e is environment, the location, uh, so where they are. I mean, you and I, we can change location and it's still us. You're here at church, when you go home, it'll still be you. Location doesn't change things. And neither does the eight to nine inch trip down the birth canal. Okay, that's not what magically gives human rights because you, you've gone down a birth canal, okay? Uh, and that um, if that's the case, then, you know, those of you that were born in C-section, I don't know, you, you missed out. So it's, it's not the location. I mean, there's really no significant difference between a, uh, a baby right before it's born and right after it's born. You know, it's just a matter of a few inches. It's got to get to the other side, but it is um, it's, it's basically just the location at that point. They say, well, but he wouldn't be able to live on its own. Now, we know more and more you know, babies are viable, and with technology that they can be it's just some amazing things. And I know some of us have been praying for some very you know, premature um, you know, children that uh, we're, we're very thankful for what technology is able to do. But, whoops, degree of dependency is also not where you get your value from. Because if that was true, recognize that it's not just in the womb that we're dependent. When a baby is born, they are still dependent. You can't just leave them in the woods to go man versus wild and, uh, you know, live on their own. You know, they, are, they will die if not attended to. They're still dependent. And even, um, you, know, uh, you know, children and kids and several of us husbands are very <laughs> different levels of dependency. So it's just, it's not about the level of dependency. So I, there's more that we could be saying. So many of the pro-abortion arguments, they are just bad arguments. Sometimes people say things that just don't make sense. I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I don't want to force my views on others. Or if you don't want an abortion, don't have one. Would you say, I'm personally opposed to slavery, but I don't want to push my views on others. Now, if you don't want a slave, don't have one. Those arguments don't work. You wouldn't say, I'm personally opposed to drunk driving, but I don't think there should be laws against it. We recognize that it's hurting other people, and that's why there should be laws. And we recognize you know, this isn't just like having a tumor removed. This is another life inside that mother. It should just be a decision between the woman and her doctor. And that doctor is, a, is an abortionist who is making big money from that abortion. A woman and her doctor. It should be up to, that's a, actually it's saying it should be up to the woman and her abortionist, her money-grubbing, ethically repugnant abortionist. There's just common sense too. You know, unless someone is seeking an abortion or is very pro-abortion, you know, when they're with child, they're not going to say, 
well, this is, I, I have a fetus, but we'll have to see. I mean, I, I still could decide to, to get rid of it. You know, at their baby showers, they still call them baby showers. They're not calling them fetus showers. And they're not like keeping the receipt because, well, you know, maybe if you don't decide to have it. But for them, it becomes, well, what gives the, what changes it? Well, it's the decision of the mother. And therefore, it's like playing God that we can decide which life has value and which doesn't. You know, isn't that really the root of so much sin? Maybe all of it is just the desire to be God and for us to be the standard, for us to do things that really only God has the right to do. Maybe I'll say it like this. In a sense, I'm pro-choice, but I think God gets to make the choice. And he says no. So that's one issue with abortion. But then we can talk about the other end of life. And this is um, <clears throat> about euthanasia. We need to value human life also at the end. And the sixth commandment prohibits euthanasia and suicide. And that's part of it. Uh, we do not have the authority to end our own lives. Again, human beings, and I think this is a common thing uh, for those that are part of the culture of death, part of it is they want to have the complete authority over their own lives. And... You know, some are mad that they didn't have a vote when they came in this world, but they want to be able to have a vote when they leave it. You know, we want to be our own law. Uh, but Bible does not give us that. Euthanasia, for those of you that may not know, is, um, is a doctor or someone else um, killing someone. We may do that to, to pets when it's uh, their time to to go or they're nearing the end, but this is not something that is allowable for, for human beings. Suicide is when somebody themselves intentionally takes their own life. Sometimes with euthanasia, we talk about doctor-assisted suicide, but there could be cases where euthanasia, and there are lots of reports of this in countries that have allowed euthanasia, where it's not always voluntary. The people that it, it is not voluntary and they did not ask for it that are being put to death because they're old, they're, they think they're not valuable anymore and they're drain on society and it's just it's easier to, to kill them off than it is to, to give them continuing care. But the, the word euthanasia, it actually it, it comes from two words. Um, you means good and uh, the thanasia part, well think Thanos, okay, it means death. And it supposedly means good death. You're giving somebody a good death. But we're going to say there really is no good death. This is not a good death, and this would be a violation of this commandment. And um, something that this was just recently, some of these uh, different countries that have had euthanasia, and we've had different states, I think Maine just allowed euthanasia, and they say, well, it's just under certain circumstances. You know, somebody that is terminally ill and it's uh, or extreme pain, and they'll say it's just for these extreme circumstances. And that's what it was for Netherlands and Belgium. They were two of the first countries to allow euthanasia. And very quickly that got expanded to more and more people. To where even they have allowed it for um, emotional suffering. They've even allowed it for, for children to receive euthanasia and originally they would have said that's unthinkable but that's how things go that the unthinkable slowly becomes the accepted and you get these we do not have the well okay laws permitting euthanasia they are morally wrong and they always lead to more and more applications more and more of this happening uh, a washington post headline june 4 talked about a Netherlands, a teen in the Netherlands, 14, or 17 years old, and she had gone through a difficult time. It says she was, um, she was raped as a child. Uh, well, the, the, the headline was, Netherlands teen raped as a child is legally euthanized due to unbearable pain. Now, there's been some different reports as far as what actually happened. If she requested euthanasia and she was given it or... Uh, some reports say that she requested it, but she wasn't euthanized, but she did die after refusing to eat. But even then, it's like they just, they let her decide to just, 
basically starve herself to death and, and kill herself, you know, in, in the Netherlands. And I'm sure she was going through a lot of difficulty. But this is where it goes from, you know, at, at first it's, you know, saying we're just going to allow this for, you know, somebody that they are on their deathbed and it's right at the end and they can't be cured of their disease and they're in pain. Um, we do have a lot more these days as far as pain, ability to relieve pain through different drugs and techniques, but, but it just it goes, it goes younger and younger, more reasons. And what will happen too, and we see this already, is it goes from having the option to die to the obligation to die. And even if it isn't being forced on people, there's going to be pressure from families and others saying, you know, this, it's really hard and you don't want to be a burden, or at least implying that. And there have been cases um, where somebody was, the, the insurance wouldn't pay for the, uh, the chemo treatment, but they were willing to pay for the, uh, the suicide pills. A lot more economic. As the culture of death grows, you're going to see that more and more and more. It's a scary, scary thing. And also going from voluntary to involuntary that, um, well, don't really ask, just have it happen. And there are countless cases of this. Biblical evidence, well, again, Exodus 20.13, you shall not murder. Wayne Grudem, in his book on Christian ethics, writes this. He says, this command, commandment, which is affirmed in the New Testament in Matthew 19 and 18, in Romans 13.9, applies to all human beings created in the image of God. It does not say, you shall not murder except when a person is more than 80 or 90 years old, or you shall not murder except when a very ill person wants to be murdered. Also, there's an episode that happens in uh, the book of 2 Samuel that I think demonstrates to us pretty clearly that, that euthanasia is considered sin. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll read this, but if you want to turn in Scripture to 2 Samuel uh, 1, and this is after King Saul had died. I'll, I'll just start reading verse 1. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp and with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell on the ground and paid homage. And David said to him, where did you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how did it go? Tell me. And he answered, the people fled from the battle. And also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. Then David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? The young man who told him said, by chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa. And there was Saul leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind me, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? And I answered him and said, I am an Amalekite. Now this is verse 9, catch this. And he said to me, stand beside me and kill me. For anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And then it says that he took his crown with him as evidence and showed it to uh, David that this is what had happened. That uh, he found Saul, he was wounded on the battlefield. Saul asked to be, to be killed, and this guy complied and, and killed him. And then in verse uh, 15, David's response to this was not, you did a kind thing, you put him out of his misery, Verse 15 says, Then David called one of the young men and said, Go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood be on your head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. That this man was held responsible and was executed for killing Saul, even though it was wounded in what we would call mercy killing or euthanasia or something like that. Um... Wayne Grudem, in his book on Christian ethics, points out how similar so much of this is to the modern situation. Saul appeared to be terminally injured with no reasonable human hope of recovery. The patient was in extreme pain. 
probably more than, I mean, he didn't have some of the opioids and different, you know, morphine and things that people are able to have today. The patient clearly requested and even begged that someone would put him to death. And he even had government approval. He was the king. But, he, but the person that killed him was still held guilty of murder for doing this. Now, before we close this up, one thing to add to this, and it, it is a complicated issue and there are complicated things. There is a difference between letting someone die, which may be permissible, may or may not, and actively killing them. Because there are end-of-life situations where we do face. And when I say may or may not, there are certain times, obviously, it's not okay. You know, if there is a child drowning and you are able to save this child, that would obviously be wrong to let the child die. You wouldn't say, I didn't kill him, I just let him die. If you decide not to feed your kids, okay, and they starve to death, that would be wrong. That would be negligence. You would be breaking this commandment to give normal care. If you don't do that, you are guilty of, of murder. And also, I think a death that could be prevented through regular care or normal you know, medical means. And what I want to say here, because this will be something that many people do face, that when it can be, or I think, what I mean by it may be okay, is the difference between actively killing someone, giving them a drug that kills them, and at some point stopping heroic measures when the body is shutting down as a terminally ill person is actively dying. That's a distinction. There's a difference between, you know, saying we're going to do another heart transplant, we're going to do all this, and, you know, when you have to make the decision of somebody that's lived a good long life, they're not going to recover, and God is taking them, and you're letting things take their course. That, that, is, that is different than euthanasia. That's the point that I want to make. And I know there can be other issues, you know, that are complicated, but... Um, you know, all these issues, euthanasia or um, uh, abortion, keeping, um, thinking through these things biblically, I want to commend to you, um, and I know there's at least some that I have listened to this. Uh, Albert Mahler is the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Real solid guy. And um, very articulate. And uh, he has a podcast called The Briefing. I would encourage everyone to listen to that. It's about 20 minutes a day, um, Monday through Friday. Talks about cultural issues, um, not in a you know flamethrower extremist way, but very conservative. We would we would agree with, uh, by and large, you know his different points. But it's really good as far as keeping an eye on different cultural situations and all these things you know that are happening. Um, if you look for the briefing or go to albertmahler.com, M-O-H-L-E-R. Uh, you can find links to that. Just a very, very valuable resource, and I commend it highly. I listen to it um, every single weekday. Uh, they take a break in, in July. Otherwise, it's uh, year-round. Let me finish with this because we're out of time. But I just said this real quick. We value life at the beginning. We value life at the end. What is missing here? We value all human life in between. And the Sixth Commandment isn't just about what not to do, but it is also about what we should do, valuing, protecting human life. And there's some people that are against pro-life people that try to make it out like, you people just care about you know, pro-birth and you don't care about people after they're born. And I think that's ridiculous. Not the Christians that I look out on and I know. And I had somebody try to make a comment that online and I said, do you know how many adopted kids we have in our church? You want to do something that's pro-life? You know, care about that, care about people with, with special needs, how much our church you know, supports pregnancy resource centers and these type of things, how much we are more than willing to come alongside people. Now, not everyone has the same views of what government social program is going to be best to help people, uh, but I believe that Christians really do care about people beginning to end. And what a just an unfair and unfounded rap that is to say that we don't care in between. But we want to keep showing that and actively living that out. And uh, I was going to finish with this quote, actually from the reformer Martin Luther in his larger catechism. It says, This commandment is violated not only when a person actually does evil, but also when he fails to do good to his neighbor, or though he had the opportunity, fails to prevent, protect, 
and save him from suffering bodily harm or injury. If you send a person away naked when you could clothe him, you have let him freeze to death. If you see anyone suffering hunger and do not feed him, you have let him starve. Likewise, if you see anyone innocently condemned to death or in similar peril and do not save him, although you know ways and means to do so, you have killed him. It will do you no good to plead that you did not contribute to his death by word or deed, for you have withheld your love from him and robbed him of the service by which his life might have been saved. Therefore, God rightly calls all persons murderers who do not offer counsel and aid to men in need and in peril of body and life. He will pass a most terrible sentence upon those in the, days of ju- in the day of judgment as Christ himself declares, I was hungry and thirsty and you gave me no food or drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. So Christians, we need to value all human life from conception to natural death and all in between. We need to stand up for the innocent and we do need to recognize that we do fall short of this. And we're thankful that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We have fallen short of this command and every other one, Lord God. And we thank you that we have Jesus Christ who has kept the law for us and that shows us what is right and good. Lord, fill our hearts with the love of Jesus Christ so that we can um, protect and care for human life from before birth till when you call someone home and all the way through the middle. Let us care about people because of the value they have as being image bearers of you, the living and true God who we love. In Christ's name we pray, amen.